Only then you will be able to teach a salesperson how to do sales when you learn how your customers do a sale for you. Peter is the chief revenue officer of Taxdome, who had a huge exit from a European company to an American company and now joined a tech company that he's brought from zero ARR on their way to a million dollars ARR. So my first hire was a restaurant owner. I love that so much. So you took your clients and then you made them your salespeople. You want to hire someone where you know this person is better than you. And this is a huge ego thing. And as soon as you accept this, then you will have a great leader in your team. Welcome to the Zero Den Podcast. I'm your host, John Lalonde, a seasoned real estate investment expert and former Marine Recon sniper. This podcast is designed for those seeking effective strategies to increase revenue growth through strategic hiring, leadership, and effective tracking. Our focus here is clear and direct. We provide actionable insights from successful founders and growth experts. Whether you're establishing a new business or aiming to scale an existing one, our episodes offer the essential advice you need for practical business growth. Lock and load, zero in, and get ready to scale. Welcome to the Zero In Podcast. I'm your host, John Lalonde, here with Peter Ediev. Peter is the chief revenue officer of Taxdome, who had a huge exit from a European company to an American company and now joined a tech company that he's brought from zero ARR all the way up to a million dollars ARR on their way to a million dollars ARR. So Peter is a really good friend of mine and a mentor. And Peter is not somebody that you see all over social media talking about how he blew up this tech company, but I have learned so much from him and I'm really excited to dive in what we're going to be talking about today. So mainly we're going to be focused on how he grew a sales team or an entire team from zero people all the way to 300 people. So Peter, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really excited about this. Thank you. Thank you for having me, John. I'm happy to have you to, you know, to be here and, you know, try to share some of my experience, what we've done before and, you know, what, awesome, what I think bro. is important, you know, what I think is important to, to, to consider, you know, and depending on the industry you are in, of course. Can you walk us through your or, your origin story? So from the first company, I just want to touch on from the first company all the way to selling it to where you're at now at Taxdome. How did you get from mm-hmm. A to B? Well, you know, the, the first time, you know, everything starts with an idea, obviously. And and then I'm, I'm a huge numbers fan. So what I do usually is I do a lot of research in the beginning, you know. So, you know, which market I'm entering is is this really a pain? And then I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you know, I always recommend to to read about the product market fit. There's a very good article from Superhuman. I really recommend uh, reading it. So what I understand under the product market fit is, you know, you you want to develop a product or you want to have a service product for a market, and this market should come to you autom- organically. And this is when when you know you have you have the good the perfect product perfect service for this specific market and as much as as more niche you go it's easier and and simpler it is for your strategy and in communication but also for your sales team in the end of the day so that's what we did you know in the in the beginning you know we we had a pain point we developed a, a product for this specific market and we really focused on on this experience that our customers have a very good experience and then they start talking about us so before you even you know go out and and make your first sale or or hire your first salesperson you want to have 
your customers do, doing the same. So I think this is the most important thing because only then you will be able to teach a salesperson how to do sales when you learn how your customers do a sale for you. I think this is, this is something what I learned during the, you know, during all my, my time. You won't be as good as, as, you know, you won't be a better salesman than the customer, the, than the customer which does a sale for you. So recommendation, referral. And, and yeah, and you know, we, we're observing, we, we're really listening to our customers. What do they really want? How do they recommend us? Why are the customers come to us? And what were the, those trigger points? You know, what were those slogans or keywords they really liked from their colleague or their, their, you know, market companion that they came and, you know, to us and said, Hey, I want to use this tool too. You know, so we were in the, in the restaurant industry back then. And, and the restaurant business, you know, is, is, is a very hard one. I, <laughs> if I have to make again a decision, I would never go into the restaurant <laughs> industry. And, and yeah, and then, you know, you, you want to understand, you know, why they're coming, you know, as mentioned. And afterwards, you ask a very specific question before you start doing sale, you know, you have your, let's say 10 customers, you know, 10 turnarounds. And then you ask them, how will you feel if we remove the, the product or the service now from you? How will you feel? And there's only one answer to it, you know? There, there's not, you, they don't have to start a monologue or something. There's one, one answer. And, you know, most of the time they will say, I will probably lose money. I will be very sad. I'll probably kill myself or something like this. So then you know, okay, they are really hooked with your product. And, and this is, you know, when you know, okay, you hit this product market fit. Okay. And obviously, you know, then you, you ask a follow up question. Okay. But what is the real one feature which really keeps you hooked at our, at our uh, tool? What is this one single service which you really value from our product? And then they tell you, you know, X or Epsilon. And, and this is the one liner you should create around, you know? So when those 10, 20 customers tell you all the same thing, what is it, you know, that would, make them so sad when you when you when you remove the product or the service this is your value proposition this is really the value you provide in the end of the day for your market and then you go create your icp you know all these sales things which everyone does and then you target those people and say hey actually say this one sentence which everyone said hey I, why they will be sad about and everyone who will say, open their eyes and say, uh, actually, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. That's exactly my pain right now. And then you understood your market. And then you start hiring your first salesperson, explaining them all, the, all those things. Very important, introducing him to your existing customers to, you know, to create a relationship and everything. And then you want, of course, aid that they have a very familiar you know, relationship with your existing customers, but also to understand what the pain points are. And then you let him do the work because in the end of the day, he's your expert. You know, you, you hire someone who is better than you. So you're not going to tell your salesperson what they have to do, how they're going to sell because you hire them because you trust in his skills as an expert. And then usually, you know, everyone creates this own authentic individual sales, uh, sales process. And I don't know. I think I gave you once this, this book to do or to recommend it once this book, but I recommend everyone to read this book. It's called a uh, sales hiring formula from the HubSpot guy. You know, he, he was an engineer and then joined HubSpot in the very, very early days and created this beautiful company and sales team. And, you know, he, he wrote this book, a uh, sales hiring formula. And there are these five criteria of a good salesperson. 
And these five criteria are coachability, uh, curiosity, prior success, intelligence, and work ethic. And it's up to you how you identify that those five characteristics are, are filled out for this uh, salesperson towards your company, towards your service. You know, for example, you know, not, not everyone, you know, says, okay, two plus two is okay. It's four. Okay. He's intelligent. You know, ask your own questions. What do you think he's intelligent enough for, you know, for this service he's going to do? And I really followed this, this hiring formula and, and it changed everything. If you ask me, you know, it, it changed how people, you know, come on board, how they supported each other. And they're all like the same like-minded people. You know, when you go out there and you talk to people and then there's, there's something off. But then you meet with someone else and they're like the same mindset like you. And this is what you want to create in your sales team. You know, you want them to feel like, oh man, they brought another person that, that is like me. <laughs> and then when you get this feedback from the team, then you know you did a good job. I love that, man. I want to talk about the product market fit. So mm-hmm. what would you tell someone that gets stuck in like that analysis paralysis phase? Because a lot of people... Obviously, a lot of people want to start a business, right? And the chances of you getting it right the first time are pretty rare. You're not going to have it perfect the first time. So what would you tell somebody that is kind of stuck doing a bunch of research on, okay, I want to make sure I have the perfect product, but isn't out there like, you know, pushing the sales, trying to get new customers so they can get feedback how do you make that kind of change? How do you how do you form that to where you start to develop the perfect product? Well, it's all it's all you know a lean process. It's a, all an iterative process where you you, know, you want to launch your product, you know, you want to launch your service, and then you know you you really go niche into your target audience or or in your in your ICP, you know, in, in your customer ideal customer profile. I would say. Or if your, if your team needs to start selling more than your product have, then you're behind. If your team is selling too easily, then you are with the product too far or with your service too far. Then you have over-engineered. You know what I mean? So I think you need to listen very carefully to your sales team when they come with the feedback and say, ah, this month we had a very good month. Then you need to ask yourself, why? Why did we have such a good month? You know, it can be also negative for your product or for your service because maybe they have, we are over-engineered or we have not enough salespeople. So, and on the other side, of course, I sold it, but I had to say X and Epsilon, but we don't have it. Well, then you're a little bit uh, behind with your product. It is not something negative. You know, don't get me wrong. This is not something negative. I, I always recommend, you know, that the sales team is in the end of the day, your first researcher. And if he sells something which you don't have, then your development should better look into it or your, your, you know, your, your product team should better look into it because this is most probably something your market needs. Interesting. And what was your first hire like? So, um, you know, even at the in the restaurant business, how much did you do before you go? Okay, I'm ready. It sounds like you had this plan to say, mm-hmm. what would what would you do without our product? Why are people coming to us? So training them would be easy, but how do you know you were ready to hire that first person? So that's that's actually a funny story. So my first hire was a restaurant owner. So. What I believed is no one knows the industry better than, than my own customer, right? And I really thought the whole time who understands the value of the product, but also who knows the industry. And we, we, we managed to convince one of our 
customers to say, Hey, join us as a sales team member and you run your business, you know, hire a manager to run your, run your, your restaurant, but make the money with us. And he, he joined and was, we learned so much, so much things. So I really tried to hire, to, to have our first sales hire that, you know, that we learned so much from this person and there was no better than someone from the industry. So that's what I would really recommend. We did the same with Textum now too. Not in the beginning, but now we have several accountants working for Textum, selling Textum. And I really recommend doing this too. You know, you want to have someone who, you know, maybe he has sold a house or he was looking to buy a house and now he knows the, the, you know, how difficult it is. Maybe just ask him, Hey, do you want to come into this business? Because you know how it is. What, what your pain points back there were. I love that so much. So you took your clients and then you made them your salespeople because your clients understand. I mean, the salespeople now understand the pain points. They know everything that they're going for. So you took the clients and made them salespeople. I love that. I think that's genius. So you obviously you built that company up uh, the re- in the restaurant business. You ended up exiting from it. How did Taxdome, how did you find Taxdome? How did Taxdome find you? Because from what I understand, you guys didn't start it all together, correct? Exactly. So, you know, the founders, you know, we, we, we got in a conversation, we, we found each other and, you know, we were talking, they, they were in a, in a phase where they knew already that the product is good and, and the, and, you know, that there was a market already there, there were a revenue already there and they wanted to expand. Uh, text them outside of the US. Uh, in Europe, you know, I had the, the European experience because I'm Austrian. And yeah, I joined, I, I joined as, as a DACH manager at, at Textum. You know, I, I wanted to distribute the product in, in the German speaking area in, in Europe. And well, after three months, we already expanded to, to other countries like Italy, France, Nordics, uh, Spain, Portugal. And, you know, after a year, I took over the whole global business development as, as a chief revenue officer, just because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, with, with the founders at Textum, you know, we, we, we got very good, you know, we align very well. We, we, we share the same vision. We, the, sh- the same ideas. We, there's never a point of arguing if, if you want to go in a, in a direction, you know, we always think the same back to the point of bringing in like-minded people. I think they knew what they're doing and they understood me very fast that, you know, we, we are like-minded and, you know, and that's, that's how I, I, in the beginning, you know, if they listen to it, in the beginning, I didn't believe a lot in the product, but I believed in them. I, I knew that they're going to do huge things and together we will do even better things. And that's why I joined. And now, of course, I love everything what we do. Yeah. What was the company like when you first joined? Was there, were, were there employees? Was there like a good structure? There. there was a, a little success, a uh, customer support, customer success team, I think of five people. And now the business development team is over a hundred. Like in, in total, we are now over 300 people at, at Textum. But the, the business development team is a little bit over a hundred people. That's incredible, man. And so how do you decide what to start tackling first, right? You come on board and how do you decide what your priority is? Because you're walking into a business that you know, at the time when you first started, you don't know much about, right? So how do you decide what to do? You know, as a, as a person who joins a company, I would always recommend to, to listen, you know, to listen to, to the, to the team members, to listen to the customers. So don't be afraid to, to call a customer as a new person or, or, you know, a former customer 
and just tell him, hey, how was your experience? Why did you decide to use the service? How was your experience during using the service? I saw you're not, you're not using the service anymore. So also talk to churn customers, you know, why did you stop using this, uh, this product? Or you talk also to prospects, which never converted. Also talk to them and say, Hey, I saw that you considered our product. Why didn't you buy it? I would, I would do those checkboxes in the very, very early stage. I, I would even say the first week finish, you know, because then, you know, the training starts and everything. And you, you enter this training with a knowledge of, of market understanding, you know, of, of you understand the market, you understand your customers and, and maybe you, you know, you start thinking about, Oh, well, maybe our customers, which we thought our customers or audiences is not even our target audience. Maybe we need to change this now. Yeah. Interesting. So, so then were you sitting in a sales role, um, just selling the product at the beginning? Is that how it started? Okay. And so yeah, then, when, yeah. So, so when did you feel like you were ready to start building a sales team mm -hmm. with Saxdome? Well, that's a good question. When do I feel ready? As, as I mentioned in the, in the, in the beginning, you know, you want to, to have your, uh, an organic growth as, as much as possible. And, and in our case at Saxdome, we have a, we have a funnel with, with a trial and, and, and then, you know, conversion. So when an accounting firm finds us, they sign up on a demo or sign up for a trial. And then we have, we don't do sales. We just show them how to implement uh textum and utilize textum for their firm, you know, to, to have all those benefits, which we are know, you know, which we know that they're going to have. And they realize afterwards very fast. And this is, you know, in the end of the day, why they decide to continue using textum. I don't know if it, if that's the usual sale, you know, like to convince someone to use or to buy your product or service. It's more like, you know, skip this part, just, con just be so confident and start implementing the, this thing, you know, like yeah. don't, don't even question, Hey, do you want to move forward? Just assume it and say, let's import your clients, you know, let's enter your informations and, and then they will have to decide, do I want to do this or not? But if you give them the stage, <laughs> if you give them the stage of, of, do you want to move forward? Then, you know, you, you're coming up with a question. They maybe never, didn't even think about it. So, mm -hmm. so they may, they may be questioning you. So why are you insecure? Why are you asking me this? Yeah. Interesting. And how many how long ago was that when you were sitting in the sales role and you didn't have any salespeople on time frame? That was three years ago, three years ago. Yeah. And how many salespeople do you have now? Like inbound, outbound, I think there are almost 30 people now. And then, you know, we have customer support, we have support level two, we have key account managers and, and yeah, all in total now hundred. So guys, Peter is super humble. Um, but he's built a company from zero employees to, to 30 salespeople, over 300 people total, um, in just three years. So I want to talk about obviously, one of your biggest focuses is making the product so good, right? That it starts to sell itself, right? You're, you're always compounding organically, which I love. But when you're bringing people on, right? How do you, how do you sell that vision to people at the beginning? Because at the beginning, it's just you. They, and I think a lot of people struggle with this is hiring their first salesperson because it's just you and, and you have to tell them, Hey, nobody else is really making money here. I mean, you could go out and hire a 
a customer or past customer like you did, which I think is ingenious, right? Um, but how do you sell the vision of the company to get this high level talent that is above kind of what you're normally used to? That, that's actually a very good question, John. So I, f- I think this is super difficult. And I tried and failed several times, you know, how do I communicate, you know, that the passion, how, how do you transmit the passion, you know, for your, for a service? Why should, how do you tell someone that you are the special company? Yeah? They, you, he chose that the right company, you know, and, and this is super difficult. And I, I did it by, I tried to do it by myself various times and I failed. And then one day I realized it's not you who is doing this. It's the customer who is going to do this. So that's why we, we for, for example, what we do at Textum or I have seen other companies do it a lot. They put them as soon as possible with, to talk with customers. And what they also do is they show reviews, you know, and testimonials. So if you have testimonials or client stories, show it immediately to your new team members. Then they can see, oh, wow. Uh, they, people love this product. You know, I, I will. I will have easy game to, to sell this product, to sell this service. And then, you know, as, as then they get passionate about because when a customer, they never, a customer never talk to you because a new person, but they immediately welcome you as, Oh no, that's awesome. And uh, you will have so much fun at this company. We're so happy that we are customers. This is how you generate, create this, you know, this, this, this passion, what you want to have in every sales, uh, sales team member. And then they come to me and say, man, I just had the first conversation with a customer. I can't wait to be out there. I can't wait. And, yeah. you know, I, I would recommend doing this. Yeah. I love that. I, I never would have thought about that. Ask your customers to talk to your potential, your future potential employees, right? Because what I love about everything that you're saying is your customers do all the lifting for you because the product is so good. And so you don't have to have so much push from you, from your sales team, from trying to go find the absolute best, best talent because the product is good. So everything else is easy. It's like, oh, you're not sure if you want to come join our company. You're not sure if you believe in our vision. Go talk to our customers. Oh, you're not sure if you want to join our sales team. You're not sure how easy it is going to to be successful. Go talk to our customers. And so I love that. And it's something that I know that in our industry, we don't lean into enough, right? People are spinning their wheels a lot uh, in the real estate industry on not focusing as m- enough on the product and trying so hard to go get new talent and find the best salespeople and everything like that. So um, that's right. really, really good, man. I really like that. And so I think I know the answer to this. I'm going to take out because the product is good and because you guys did so much research up front it has to be a huge factor. Other than that, what do you think contributed to you guys growing so fast in such a little period of time? Just, just one, one thing to add on to the, to the reviews and, and talking to the customers. A lot of companies, I think they, they made the mis- they make the mistake or not the mistake, but they don't think about it. When you collect those testimonials and, and, and customer reviews, they think, you know, the marketing thinks, ah, oh, this is, to create credibility and awareness that this is a real product and people like this or other prospects, you know, they, 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 they think, okay, this is also something for me, but you need to understand that this is also super valuable for your team. And I'm not talking only about the, the, the sales team for 
across the team, everyone who works at this company, they want to read positive reviews from, of your company, of your product, of your service. This is the thing what motivates them too, you know? So you, if you work at the company and for a year or for six months, you don't hear a positive review from your customer, well, how, how do you get additional motivation? You know, how do you get this push? Like, I want to also to bring a, a positive review. So as you correctly said, yes, I, I think the real estate, this is a big thing because you have such a high turnaround on those customers and those one-time customers. People forget the value of this. And if I would be in the real estate, I would really focus on collecting those, especially video testimonials and place them everywhere. Because nothing communicates your value proposition better than a customer, like I said in the beginning. So just to, as an add-on, to your question of, 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 of what, what was it? Can you repeat, please? Uh, so other than the product being great, right? What do you think mm -hmm. contributed to your, to your company growing okay. so yeah. quickly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say you want to identify... So, so, so in German, we call it milking the cow, you know? So you really want to identify back to the product market fit point. You really want to identify which market is right now or which part of the market of your for market share is right now the most approachable with the product and service you have. So you really need to identify because what you, once you have a service or, or product, a lot of people make the mistake. And that's why I'm always preaching about niche, 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 they always think, ah, my product is for everyone. And you lose so easy focus. You will collect so many feed feedbacks, but in the end of the day, it's not valuable because you cannot address everyone. So that's what we did. We really focused on, on a, you know, such niche like an accounting industry, but not in only this niche. We, we, we continue diving deeper and say, okay, what firm size do need, do they need to have? Uh, what services do they offer? You know, for example, an accountant, they, he can offer uh, accountant tax services to all people or they only do to dentists or to pharmacists and try, you know, if, if you have, let's say, or, or to real estate, you know, and if you see an accountant, you know, accounting firm only having real estate clients, and he is super happy because all the templates, all the product is, you know, uh, and and the experience is positive for him, then make your research and check how many thousands of accounting firms deal with real estate clients and reach them too and say, hey, look, your direct competitor is using Textom and he's happy with it and the clients are happy with it. Use it too, you know, look at it, look at it and, and see why they're using it. Yeah. And this is, you know, what I'm talking about, milking the cow. You want to, to really show... Uh, your clients that a you understand them as as deep as possible, as niche as possible, and b you know that the product is made for them. And this is you know where you know you you target this once you, you reach you know 60, 70, 80 percent of this market share of these thousand firms, let's say, then you move to the next one. And in the end of the day, you know after a year or two years, you have maybe probably already hundred of those niche niche uh, audiences. And if you step you know, if you step back and you look at it, then you probably have already a broad spectrum of, of your uh, market covered. So um, in the end, yeah, in the end of the day, you know, this is what makes, makes it grow very fast and easy. 
So that is from a revenue standpoint, from getting people onboarded. How do you keep up? I mean, you got to be hiring all the time to keep up with the size of the company. How You've told me a little bit about how you attract the talent, right? If you have somebody that you really want, hey, go talk to our customers. What questions, though, are you asking specifically to figure out this is a right culture fit for our company? You know, growing the company in, in, the, in this uh this pace is, is quite difficult. You know, I, I, I made a lot of mistakes when I think back over these three years now, I, I could have done so many things better because it's just so difficult to find those like-minded people, you know, the, those people who, who fit in this culture. And that's why I mentioned there in the beginning, the sales hiring formula, call it however you want, you know, but just what, what I did is I went to my top three people. Go or let's let's go to your top three salespeople and and interview them. Ask them questions and and try to understand them how they are built. You know what characteristics are they? Are they nice? Are they are they hungry? Are they you know do they like martial arts? Do they like playing dart? What what do they have all in common? You know and then you create those own questions for your future sales team members mm. and you you look do they fall into these criterias of my top three performers? Because then most likely they will also be top performers. So this is what I would recommend doing. Like really understand who are your top three. If you have, you know, <laughs> only top one performer and all the other five or six are not, then, you know, you do, you have done some things wrong previously or you, you lowered your standards. There's this very beautiful sentence from the book Empit Up. He says, you know, if you lower your standards, then things are not going to, Things are not getting done the way you want to be. Just, you know, just to tell you good then. Yeah. So really interview your top three performers, find the patterns. What do they have in common? And try when you hire someone new that if you have, you know, those five things they have in common, try at least that three of them, these other new people also have in common. Don't, you know, don't expect to find, you know, the perfect match. Like, you yeah. know, on those. Yeah. Things. But, but see it like a dating app, you know, like you really want to match those, those things with your, your, existing uh, employee already have, and then, you know, try to bring someone on who is the same, you know, who matches those checkboxes. And what about hiring director level and C-level that, you know, maybe you don't have somebody, you don't have a, a profile for them already. What are you looking for then? I mean, if, if you look you now, you know, for, for head offs or VPs, here's the thing uh, I started doing and, you want to hire someone where you know this person is better than you. And this is a huge ego thing, you know? This is a huge ego thing. And you better step back, you know, being, being, you know, uh, you know, thinking that you know the market or the product the best and, and hire someone where you think, hey, this person knows more than me or is just better than me. And as soon as you accept this and, and realize this, then you will have a great leader in your team. So if you're looking to hire a, a leader, you know, a, a manager or leader in, in your company or, yeah, then lower your ego and, and start looking for someone where, you know, this guy is better than me. So I, I need this person. I need this person. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. And a lot of times, you know, we find these people that are better than us, right? And we think, okay, well, why would this person come? come work for me. They're better than me. Why would they come work for me? Right. But what you're saying is 
I mean, if you've got the right product, you've done the right research, then selling the vision at that point is easy. So for me, that was something that clicked, right? Because if you if they're better than you at everything and your product isn't good, obviously they're not going to come work for you. But if they're better than you at their thing and you've got an incredible product and an incredible vision, it's like, hey, you can run here. Like you've actually got a chance to build something great. So I love that, man. Right. I mean, you know, just just to make it clear, there are people, you know, out there, you know, there are millions of people which are better than us, you know, billion people, but they don't have the tool for it. They don't just don't have the tool to prove themselves that they are better than you. So give them the tool where you know they will shine. Man, that's so good. And so as a chief revenue officer, I want to kind of change directions here. Talk about your day to day. What does a successful chief revenue officer do on the, what is your main focus at this point? And what does your day to day look like? I mean, you know, I, I think this depends on, on, on the industry you are and on your product. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially, you know, I, I think once you're in, in, in C level, you know, you, everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. What I personally do is I really focus on growth, which, which distracts me. And maybe that's not always positive, but then I look away from the problems we have inside, you know, the team. When I say problems, you know, like maybe some numbers are not matching or, or some targets are not hit, which is, I think, something normal. And I personally think if you waste too much time on optimizing those numbers, you lose focus on growth. So that's why I always focus on growth first and see what are the, what is the potential I can tackle and new things I can do versus am I <laughs> a little bit controversial, but am I milking the cow enough? Because I believe you cannot go 100% because they are competitors. There's always a market share you have. There's always, you know, a point where you need to share the market. So never aim to this 100% of market share. Make, make your maths, you know, if, if there are five, six competitors in your region or, you know, in your country, then understand that you max what you can hit is 50% as a market leader, you know, 60, 51% you're already market leader, you know, and, or if you have, you know, let's say six, seven competitors, break it down and have, you know, more, more than, you know, three of them or something like that. And, and once I hit these numbers, then I know, okay, whatever they overperform now is already above my expectations. So that's why I will be anyway happy. So that's why I always focus, you know, day by day on, on growth. What does this mean in, in, in real activity? Well, usually, you know, what I do in the beginning when every time when I, when I log in, I see, I look at the customers which converted the last day. So I, I don't know why I'm doing this. I, I think mainly because I want to see if I see a, a switch of the trend of our market. So, but I really started doing this like since a year, one and a half year. Hmm. Who converted the, the day before? And then, you know, I, I have them always in my mind. So who, who was this profile? You know, who was this persona? Does this fit in our current audience or is it something totally different? And then, you know, if I see someone totally different and I see it next day again and the next day again, then I know, oh, okay, I think a new vertical is coming up. A new market segment is coming up. Maybe I need to go up market. Maybe a, a new cohort is, 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 you know, is, is, is getting created. And this is, you know, what helps me again then to grow, you know, to grow because then I see I don't, I don't tackle 
a new audience by thinking this is our new market. I tackle them by seeing if they come organically to me already or to us, then I know there's a potential to do also uh, outreach, outbound. You know, if inbound, they come into inbound and, okay, this is a new segment, then I start also doing the outbound there. But I would never start, I would never go somewhere and say to the team, start there because I think this is a good idea because most probably they will fail and you cannot give them the customer experience like I, I said in the beginning. They cannot learn from the customer. So, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of sales leaders, they, they make the mistake. They get the push, you know, from the, from the management, from the investors. They say, Oh, no, we need to, to go into new markets and everything. And then they say, Oh, maybe this is a good idea or maybe this. And then they hire 10 people and attack it. Most probably you will fail. So don't do this mistake. Look at your customers. Where are they coming from? Are some out of your pattern? Are, are some of them? not the usual pro, uh, profile you get and then understand, is this something which repeats? Is this something you see potential? Talk to them. F see if, if the, your product matches also their needs. And if yes, then hire the other people. Maybe do your first calls alone. You know, I, I think a sales leader should always do calls. You know, till today I talk to our customers. There's no day I, I don't talk to them. I mean, not daily, but Definitely weekly, I talk, I talk to our, our new customers, existing customers. Everyone should talk to their customers, you know, in whatever position you are in sales. Otherwise, you know, how, how will you bring your team value if you don't even know anymore what your customers do and, and need? So yeah, this is one of the things I do. I, I, I talk to, I, I look at the customers, you know, which, which converted. So to identify, are we in the same track? Do we need to change them? Do we need to adapt something? And the other thing is I look at the numbers. But when I say the numbers, I don't look at the quarters, how they performed. So, so here's the thing what I identified with, with, with the, with the team members is, you know, everyone can, can, can relate to this. Maybe when, when you have salespeople, they, they hit those numbers super high in the beginning, you know, so they, you know, they make those 400 calls a week and, you know, schedule those demos, like, you know, like 10, 20 demos a week and, and, you know, super happy. And then. It goes down to 300, 250 a week. And what I do is I, I have this little dashboard with the calls everyone hits. And then I always have the top, the top week on the top of every team member. And then I look who I have a little uh, tolerance, you know, from, from how low they can go that I'm, I'm still think that they're doing a great job because I know you hit the peaks, like in, you know, every sport, you hit the peaks maybe once or twice. And that's normal because you cannot always perform as a peak. But what I want them is to perform like in a marathon, you know, in the end of the day, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. So what you want to do is to see, are they getting what, why the numbers are going down? You know, a, they are not performing or more important, the leads they're getting are not, not, not performing. So this is what you need to understand, you know, and, and this is, you know, my, my biggest fear is that they wake up one day and that's why I'm matching always our previous, you know, the customers from the previous day is that we lost track of, of our, target audience and we're calling people which are not even you know which they can't even be our customer because it's not our audience anymore and and that's why i always do those two things to match the performance with the with the converted customers to see is there any uh is it in english discrepancy you know is there any differences which i i should or we should react and that's actually <laughs> 
when I do this every day, then everything else comes then from alone. You know, do I have to adjust? Do I have to grow? Do I have to come up with a new strategy? And I think that that's how yeah, that's how the daily life is for me. Uh, I love that because you have a pulse of everything going on. You have a pulse of what's going on on the front end of your business, right? And you're the chief revenue officer. So you need to understand, you need to be on the front lines to an extent, but that doesn't mean that you're all day making sales calls, but you're just understanding what data you need to look at to be able to make the best decisions for your business. So I did have a question on that, which I think is, you, you mentioned that you've got a dashboard, right? You have the minimum metrics that your team can hit. And then obviously they have the peaks. I love that you said that because I know that I'm guilty of this is, you know, my rep hits a peak and I go, oh, so you can do that. That's your new standard, right? It's like, you know, the one time that you're rolling with a purple belt and, you know, you tap them and then the instructor says, oh, so you're a purple belt now. You got to, you, you can tap all purple belts, right? And that's just not, that's just not how it works, right? So when they are starting to dip below the, your threshold, Walk me through what that conversation looks like. How do you motivate them to start hitting their numbers again? What does that conversation look like for you? I hope I'm not going to have a lot of those conversations, but when I have those conversations, it's mostly that I try to, to understand, you know, do they have any personal issues, you know? Because as you said, you know, in sports, most of the times, if you don't perform high, you have some issues going on personally. If your personal life is not good, your work life or your performance life is, is not, you know, it's not there where you want it to be. And so what usually I do is, you know, ask them, Hey, how is going at home? You know, is everything good? How did you sleep? Is, you know, how is family? How is friends? You know, car, everything is good. And then most of the times it's, I would say 90% of the times it's, it's something in, in the personal life when they not perform. And what we and why I value Textum so much is that Textum always cares about their, their employees, you know, always first, always first. And in these years I'm at Textum, you know, there have been earthquakes, wars, tsunamis, flooding apartments, you know, all those things. There was always the case that Textum said, let us take care of this with no questions, you know, took the money immediately, another apartment, fixed the renovation even a new, uh, new house, you know, all those things. And I think once you realize that this is the only way how your team can perform when they, when they lock out at, at work, that they are happy at home, that they're happy in their life, then you can be sure that they will perform at work. So you really want to take care of them. I've seen a lot of leaders, you know, or, or sales team members, they come to us and say, ah, oh, normally when I don't hit the numbers, you know, that the, the team leader or the, the, my, my team lead comes to me and says, oh, why are you not hitting these numbers? You hit those numbers and what is going wrong? You know, let me change the leads. Let me change the, the tool. Nah, man, just listen to your, to your team member, you know, maybe, maybe invite him to a beer or, or whatever you want, you know, maybe send him home just for the day, but just take care of those people because in the end of the day, you know, they come, they come to work because they believe in your, in your company. So show them also as a company that you believe in them. And. Most of the time, you will be right with this, with this, uh, strategy. Of course, you know, there are always some exep exceptions, but this is not then your fault. This is then the, then you did everything wrong, but it was just not meant to be done with this person. I love that, man. I'm so guilty of changing things because my sales team isn't performing and going straight to, and right when you said that, that when you said a lot of sales leaders are guilty of, 
going to change things because their sales team isn't performing. It brings me back to a time when I had a sales team that wasn't performing at specifically one person and then immediately started going, okay, must be the leads. The leads must be changing. The market must be changing. It must be this, all of these other things because, and it's funny because what are the chances that those things are changing compared to like two or three salespeople, right? Or at least one salesperson just having a rut, like just going through a tough time. So that's one, one, one thing, John, just to, to so interrupt. That's your job, you know, that, that's my job to know that the, the numbers, the leads and the, the audience where we are is correct. That's why I'm doing those things in the beginning. I told you, I check which of our previous customers. I, I, I check what the performance is. Is, is everything matched in the direction I, I am setting it up? I'm thinking about it because then you will never question the, the performance that the lack of performance of employee that it comes from this number because you know you're in control of it. So that's why I'm saying most probably it is then personally. Does this make sense? It makes it makes a hundred percent sense. So, how do you know that? Okay, you know they're going. They have something going on personally, but that some and maybe this is not all the time. But at some point, they do have some stuff personally. But it's like, hey, you also have to figure out your own stuff too. An earthquake, a you know a natural disaster. That's one thing. But uh, we've got a rep that he you know oh my girlfriend broke up with me. Um, they get back together, they break up again. He's dealing with that over a period of time, right? Are you the one having that conversation of, hey, dude, maybe you need to just like get your life together first? Or how do you have that conversation with those reps when the family issues or the personal issues keep getting in the way of the result? Well, <laughs> that's why you need to hire goods because that's why I told you at the beginning, you know, use this hiring formula, set it up however it works for you. Because you want to have the right work ethic, you know. I told you those points, you know, curiosity, work ethic, intelligence, prior success. So when you hire the person with the right et work ethic, when you when they tell you, "Hey, I broke up with my with my boyfriend or girlfriend," and there are some issues, most probably when you tell them, "All right, man, take some time off and you know, and let me know if I can do something," they will they will tell you, "No, no, I want to work because this is what what keeps me going. I need the routine," and then you know you hired well. If they don't say this, I wouldn't say that you didn't hire well, but maybe, you know, you, you need to change your hiring, uh, your yeah. hiring strategy. Yeah. The and, sales. and if they, if they say, Hey man, you know, I really, I want to continue work, but maybe two days sounds good. Also fair. Also fine. You know, like then give them those two days. I believe in, you know, Axis Reaxia from Newton, you know, if you, if you give, they will, they will give back. If they don't, then you, then it was your mistake because then you didn't hire the right person. <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah. The sales acceleration formula is actually right there on my shelf. That's uh, it's a book that Peter gave me and I've gone through it at least two or three times now, created a spreadsheet. Uh, we bring everybody through our hiring process. We create the exact spreadsheet where they have a weight. Now, that does take practice to get good at it because I, I've used that exact formula and hired the wrong people, but it's because I wasn't good at identifying those char characteristics and asking the right questions, right? So understand that if you're, if you're listening to this, you want to go out and implement, you read the book, you're never going to be perfect the first time. It's not like, oh, I read the sales acceleration formula. It's a math formula to make $10 million a year. 
it's not necessarily that you have to, you have to learn, you have to get better along the way. And you can really only do that by practice and talking to people that have done things that are bigger than, than you have. Right. I mean, exactly. You know, especially when you're a small team, you know, like with five, five people total, you don't hire every week, you know, we hire every week, two, three people. So for us, it's the, it, the iteration phase of improving this process, the recruiting and the hiring process is much easier and faster than a person who hires maybe two times a year, you know, because maybe those two times will be still uh, bad. And next year there will be the third hire will be good for us. We can have probably better results already in three weeks, you know, when we adapt something. So that's, you know, that's the good thing of, of being a, a fast growing big company or, you know, a medium company like us, because, if you focus on optimizing and improving, you can improve much faster because you can learn much faster through those errors. But if you don't, you know, if you have a small team, then you cannot implement those, those learnings as fast as you want. I love that. And you mentioned a few times growing fast, you know, like there's obviously the benefits, like you know, the revenue that comes in, your processes they improve quicker because you're getting more reps, right? We also mentioned that you've made a, a bunch of mistakes that maybe you wouldn't have. What would you say are your top two or three mistakes that you've really learned a lot from? You wish if you could go back, you would have fixed these things to grow the company faster. So one of the mistakes I did in the beginning, I would say is to have a too long hiring process. I know you will read articles and books about having a, assessment and you know three four interview process we have one interview one interview and that's it i don't <laughs> ask for any assessment and it's much better now because if you let someone work so much for for getting this job but you know uh, again you know this is very controversial with other opinions it works for me you know it works for me because i think this is the culture we created at Textum is so the mistake I did is too long hiring process because I felt like I exhausted already a future team member before they even joining Techstamp with those hiring, with, you know, thinking too much. And the other thing is what you do with this long hiring process is you, you distract him from his focus of selling at Techstamp. When he talks to this, to this, you, you put too much in his mind or in her mind to think about Ah, there's so many things I have to think about Texan. But in the, in, in the end of the day, you hire him for one thing and to make revenue on you, right? And, and to be happy. And that's what I, I try, what I change now with this one call, one interview, uh, hiring process is I listen to them. I listen to those things, you know, those questions I, I have. I listen to the answers. And then I tell them, well, what do you think about it? And then when they say, well, actually, I just want to start, then let them start, man. Just let them start. You need, if you, if you run a business, you should calculate in your finance plan, people you hire and you're going to lose them. This is a business cost. You need to accept them. And as soon as you calculate them in your finance plan, as easier your life will be. Calculate a year, 20, 30 K a year, lost money because of, of, of unsuccessful hires. And then you will never cry after them because you have them anyway in your finance plan. You calculated the money. And so this is something, you know, I changed and, and I, I, I did and I failed terrible with this over-engineered uh, hiring uh, process. The other thing is micromanagement. 
I, 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 I micromanaged the beginning, beginning too much, you know, always after the people thinking, oh, why they're not doing this? And then I realized, well, it's, you know, it's just when, when you micromanage people the whole time, you try to fix your problems you have set up in the end of the day. Because instead of going to them and tell them what to do, what they did wrongly, step, step back and think about what do I have to change in the process I have set up that they don't even get into the situation. Mm. So identify what the issues they, they have or the problems they're facing. And instead of going to fix it by them, step back and fix it with yourself and the process you have set up. So don't give them even the possibility to get into this use case or in this issue. So this is something I also needed to learn and, and it's worked out perfectly now. You know, Alec, I have with each team a weekly sync and, you know, they, I, I just listen there, you know, they just share their complaints, their feedbacks. And then I know, okay, what do I have to change in my, in my process that they don't have this issue anymore or these problems? And the other thing is something which I think, I think, you know, I told you already, but just for everyone is about lead distribution and lead velocity rate. So growing a team, you, it means that you have a lot of leads and a lot of prospects. So a lot of people, when they hire new team members or salespeople, they just put them there and say, okay, start also calling. So, and what I changed is, or what, what we changed at Textum is that we, we, distribute the source of our leads equally to our team members. So what does this mean? It means, let's say in our case, you know, we have leads from a lot of sources, let's say event, a webinar, a lead magnet on our website or blog. And they're, they're all, you know, call them scored or all these, all these fancy words, you know, which salespeople do now. So they all have their own value as a lead. And what you want to do is every team member has their own pipeline, but they don't, you don't put one team member to the webinar pipeline or and the other team member to the event pipeline because how are you going to know if which one is a better performer? So what you do is you put them all together, those leads in the top and then distribute them equally, <laughs> distribute them equally to the, to the team members. Then you know every team member has 10 leads from, from event, 10 leads from webinar, 10 leads from call calling, 10 leads from you know, lead magnet. And then when everyone makes 30, you know, 30 K, let's say revenue or X revenue, X K revenue per month. And someone does only, you know, epsilon, then you know that he's not a good performer because the leads are all the same. There's no excuse why someone should not reach the revenue they hit. And this is something I did in the mistake. I I thought, you know, I'm going to give this person is very good with, with people we were in touch in person. So let's give him the event leads. Bullshit. I wouldn't recommend this. Don't do it. You will face only, you will only have one, two top performers and you don't even know that your lowest performers are the, usually the top performers, but you just gave them two focus shitty leads. So once we change this team is super happy because everyone knows I have the same chance like my, my, my team, my team member. And also, you know, our, our numbers, I can optimize them much easier. If I know someone hits X with a little bit tweaking, I can reach epsilon. And with even more tweaking, I can, I can raise my ACV. I can, re- I can raise my, my average new ARR or new revenue per month 
just by tweaking and 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 improving my team instead of you know the, the leads because the leads are already good this that's the job of my sales operations specialist or you know sales ops and ref ops that they they tweak there that's such good advice. I love that. I know that we spoke about that. Uh, you know, the past couple of weeks, it's been a change that I've already implemented in my company. And now when we do our, you know, 30 day KPI reviews and everybody's looking at the, at the leaderboard, it's like, you guys all have the same opportunity. And so it makes them fight harder instead of one guy getting, you know, all the Google PPC leads that are, that are easy laydowns convert one out of 10 and then the other guy getting, you know, SMS leads, right, that are converting one out of 60, it, it really shows who's putting in the work, who's the actual, who's the top performer. So it's been, it's been a huge pivot in our business. It's been really, really helpful. So exactly. And also what, what the other thing, what it does, and I realized that is the team member, the, the sales team member, he, you know, they, they get all of them, they get the best lead, you know, the, the same leads. And some of those funnels are the best leads, you know, you know, that they're the easiest convert. So yeah. what they do is they make them the first, they convert them the first because they have the success moment, this motivational, additional motivation, which they get in the very beginning of the month. And then they say, all right, let's tackle me the, uh, the other ones, which are more difficult, or they keep the good ones in the end and say, no, I'm going to start now with the difficult. And if I have a, a you know, a desperate moment, I'm going to go to the easy ones, get the motivational uh, push and then go again to the bad ones. So. It's, it all depends on the team member, but you know, I, I realized that they really try to, to motivate themselves with those, uh, good, you know, this equal distributed leads. Yeah. I love that, man. Well, we are running short on time. I have one more question for you. I like to ask everybody that comes on. What is one quote that you've been sitting on or thinking about lately that you're trying to kind of live your life more, more like? A quote? I, I... I don't know, but what I'm definitely doing now is, is being a role model in, let's call it work activity. So previously, you know, I, I know that when I work a lot, then, then the, the team will work a lot too, <clears throat> because they see, ah, Peter's the whole time online, you know, he's coming up with this and this. And I realized that it's not healthy for them. And it's not also healthy for me, obviously. So when I, when I work outside of the core time, let's call it, then I do it silently because I want them to think like, Hey, there is, it is fair to rest. It is fair to, to, you know, to, to, to take time for yourself and for your family and friends. And that's what I'm trying to do. I, I try to be a, a role model in, in spending quality time at home. It's not a quote, but that's something I, I realized not only for myself, but only for my team that, this is a, a, this is also a great, uh, performance push for them. And it leads to the point that when they are online and they have to work, they will work 100% and not mm-hmm. thinking, ah, let me do now 80% because I know I have still to deliver outside of my core time. I love that. That's a quote by Peter. We'll put that on the, on the wall over here. So awesome, man. Last question. Where can people find out more about you? Um, maybe they're interested in tax dome, they're interested in career opportunities, or they just want to learn more about you. Where can they reach out? I mean, I, I, I sent you the link to my LinkedIn, you know, please feel free uh, to hit me up on LinkedIn and you know, I'm happy to chat. If you need something, um, you know, any, anyone who listens to John, you know, is listens, you know, is, has also the, the opportunity to talk to me. So please uh, feel free to, to tell me that you're coming from John's podcast. And, and, you know, if, if you look for opportunity, yes, we are hiring always. 
if you feel like SaaS is something for you and you want to be in this culture which we created and, and trying to improve and grow every day, um, you know, always, always happy to look for new candidates. Awesome, brother. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I know everybody's going to learn a lot. I know I learned a lot. This is the Zero Den Podcast signing off.